It's Matt Rosenthal, and I want to welcome you again to Digging In. This is a show that reveals and it digs into what it truly takes to be a success in business, in life, in health, and how you can use the information to reach your own potential. You're going to get powerful stories on today's show. I hope it truly inspires you. I hope it educates you. That's the intention of the show. I want to help you reach your own potential, and in some way, hopefully, we're able to do that with you today. So today, I have joining me Ricard Jorgensen. He's a, a, a friend of mine for, for quite a long time. I would actually go as far as saying he's actually a, a part of, of our family. We've gotten to know each other over the years. The relationship began as a business relationship, but once you get to know this guy, it's hard not to love him. The episode Today's episode, we're going to talk about something important, which is being self-made and what the keys are to building a multi-million dollar company. Okay, Ricard is self-made. He has built a multi-million dollar company. And as he pointed out in the pre-show, he sold it. But um, there's a, a lot to unpack there. Um, he, just a, his background real quick, he left his home in the north of England when he was 28 years old. He's going to talk today about, you know, his life even leading up to that point and his entrepreneurial side, you know, as, as a child. But he left there at 28 to come to the U.S., to work in the US, but then he went on and took the leap to start his own business. And that's really where I think he's gonna drop some serious pieces of information for everybody and, and really talk about some of the keys to that success. So, um, Ricard, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, how's, how's life in Las Vegas? It's actually, it's Henderson, and it's just outside of Las Vegas, but it's gonna be, it's sunny, and it's going to go up to 78 degrees today. So cool weather. So this is what it's like after you build a multi-million dollar business and then sell it. You wind up in, uh, in Nevada, which by the way, I, if I'm not mistaken, there's no, there's no uh, state income tax, right? Who said that? Well, I'm in Florida. Well, I'm here for the That's same reason you're in Nevada. That, that was one of the primary reasons. In fact, I was going to spend most of my time in uh, California because you know, we have a house in Los Angeles too. But we came here to Nevada thinking that we'd just get a condo and we'd be registered here for taxes and yada, yada, yada. But it's actually such a nice place and the people are so nice. And if you get past the strip and the entertainment business, there's a lot of other things here to do that we like it here. We decided to stay. I still have the house in Los Angeles, but I haven't been there for four months. But so is life, you know. First world problems, as they say. <laughs> So listen, let's, I mean, there, there's so much to unpack here. I want to, I want to get started. I want to, I want to talk about before we get to, to, you know, what, what the end result was, which everybody finds it so easy to look at, at people after they've been successful and, and, and they've, they've maybe achieved financial success and they see the material things you may or may not have and houses and where you live. It's like, how, how'd you get there? You know, it's, where do you start? Where does it, and, and I think for you, knowing you, even you know, before you moved to the US, you've told me so many stories um, about your childhood and about things that kind of formed you. I mean, I'm curious about, about that. Like, can you tie that to how you actually were able to be so successful in business? Like, what happened as a kid that caused you to think the way you think? Yeah, and it's an interesting concept because my background is fairly humble, if you like. Uh, my grandfather was a stoker in the Royal Navy, he joined in 1914 when he was 14 years old, lied about his age, and joined so he could fight in the uh, First World War. And he used to throw the coal on the boilers of battleships. So the guy looked like Popeye, wow. you know, like arms out here. <laughs> that Popeye guy had 11 kids. Every time he came home from a tour, Another kid would pop out. So basically, he killed my grandmother and she died at 56, but he died when he was in his 80s. But all those kids had kids and then they had kids. So just to give you an example, um, a couple of years back, I think I've told this story, but I'll tell you again. We had a, a 50th anniversary party for my parents. And I went to a friend of mine who had a, um, a restaurant in Chester where I came from. And we rented the place and we had, you know, open bar meals and all that sort of stuff. And I kid you not, that party was like the cantina scene from Star Wars. <laughs> there were some ugly people there and there were blood relatives of mine 
And in the US, a US equivalent might be, um, you know, going back to Appalachia. Great people, lovely people, salt of the earth, but we're in different places. And I came from that background and it sometimes interests me how I must have evolved from that. And I think it was environmental influences. And if you, you know what I mean? It's like putting yourself in places where you meet people that are doing different things and they inspire you to take a different path. Because I went to a, um, a high school in my hometown of Chester, which churned out two types of people. You were either a soccer player and a prize giving all these professional soccer players who come out and dole out prizes to people, or alternatively, you were an engineer. So all the big engineering companies would come to our school to recruit apprentices. And my closest friends became uh, aircraft fitters or instrument mechanics or welders. In fact, my brother, who's a year younger than me, is uh, a welder, but he had a bit of the same mind uh, uh, or sense of, sense of difference, let's put it that way, mindset, I was going to say. And he actually is now one of the leading uh, uh, engineers and inspectors on wind turbines. So he went from... This is your brother. Welder, yeah, he went from yeah. being a welder and, and to being a welding inspector and got in trouble politically because he failed a bridge from Denmark to, to Sweden. And uh, and then eventually, if you're going to build a bridge, make sure it doesn't fall down. Yeah, well, I was his <laughs> and and he's he's like my parents. He's like salt of the earth. He won't take a bribe. He won't be bent. If he thinks it's wrong, he'll tell you, and he'll add a couple of expletives. So that's the kind of area I'm from. Oh, and then he became a, 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 a an engineer on wind turbines. So he's popping around the U.S. Uh, inspecting turbines in Oklahoma and Texas and that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's a hairy job. One of his friends was killed on one of the turbines uh, wow. uh, two years ago because somebody left the break off and it started spinning when he was inside it. And anyway, it's not a story. But you, you were the, are you the, you're the one that came out and became an entrepreneur though. Yeah. My, what was it about that time that, that you, you yeah, mentioned yeah. the word mindset that formed just, that. Yeah. And I'm just giving you the background because there were four kids and there's my brother who's the engineer, who's a, you know, he was in the army for a while. And so he's like straight, a straight arrow. And then the other two, the youngest ones are posties. So what did you call them? Posties, mailmen. Mail, oh, posties. Yeah, mailman. Post, I love, listen, I love the British words you come up with. I'll never get tired of them. Yeah, yeah, it's like postman patch, you know? I mean, the postie, okay. And, they, and they're lovely people and they do, do great things. But what happened was that, uh, I just had a different perspective on things. At the age of 16, I wanted to be in charge of assets of several million dollars. I thought it was kind of cool to do that. What made you I think that though? I like out of, that's a random. Yeah, because I went to um, a business school and I, they started teaching us about accounting and economics. And like your high school was a business type of school. It, it was post high school because it was like, it was like a, a um, like, like an associate's degree college, you know, but I went early, you know, the point being is that the school system is different in the UK. You finished at 16. And if you wanted to do advanced levels, you went on to 18. Oh, interesting. Advanced levels, I went into business school instead. You were at a high school at 16. That's, that's, yeah, it's, that's really different. That's young. Yeah. Well, and, and, and most of my friends at that age started as an apprentice at 16. But for you, there was something that was drawing you, like you were interested in finance. There was something drawing you to a different, in a different direction. And if I psychologically analyze it, it's because I was a sort of a, a round peg in a square hole insofar as my background was, you know, my mom was a member of the Hunt tribe, as I described before, mm -hmm. and there were lots of them. And my father was a Dane who basically got off his ass after the Second World War, spent some time... Uh, sailing around in uh, PT boats and U-boats because they were reparations that the Danes got and then came to the UK with nothing and nobody and no support and met my mother and nine months later I was around. around. So, it, day. yeah, but the point <laughs> is it, it makes your perception of the environment in which you are puts you in a place where you're not quite the same. In other words, you, you know, your you blood relatives but there's part of you that's different and it gives you a, a, 
a difference of attitude. Just by way of example, every time I would start a new term at school and there'd be a new teacher, I'd have to spend 10 minutes explaining how to pronounce my name because I would get variations on a theme. And it's not a complaint. It's just that puts you in a different class because there are lots and lots of John Smiths and David Browns and all those other right. uh, uh, typical English people, English names um, that, that, that are there. And I'm not part of that group. I'm like an outsider, but slightly uh, connected. That's really uh, interesting. So when you were looked at or treated or, I don't know, something was different and you picked up on that and maybe you became an outlier? Like you, you saw things differently? But you did. It gave you a different perspective. You didn't you didn't need to step on the conveyor belt and become part of that uh, a situation where you would you know, evolve into an apprentice and then you'd meet a girl and then you buy a house. and Right. Have like somebody tells you what the path is and you just follow yeah. it. Like you're just on some like routine. Right. I, I think I mentioned to you that there's a book uh, which was written in 10. Right. It's a ledger of all his possessions in the UK. It's called the Doomsday Book. You may have heard of it, but point is that the, the names of all the families that own the land are in that book, right? Interesting. And there were kids at school that I went, you know, went to school with that had the same family names. So Dunning, Peter Dunning was a great friend of mine. His family's in the Doomsday Book, which tells you that they've been in that same area on that same conveyor belt for over a thousand years. And that's the norm. You know wow. what I mean? Now, and you felt like you wanted something different. Yeah, it just, you know, it, it uh, opened my eyes. And remember, every year I'd get, or oh, not every year, but uh, quite a lot, I would get shipped off to, to Denmark or to Europe or something and stuck in a situation where I'm with all these relatives. I haven't got a clue what they're saying. They're all babbling away in a foreign language and I can pick out the odd word. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it just you get pulled in a different direction. The other thing is that, you know, every time I would go to, to Denmark, my grandmother would introduce me to all these blonde babes, expecting that I would be seduced by that particular situation, you know? So again, I resisted. Wait, this was your grandmother doing this? Yeah. That, yeah that's she, nice. Thanks, Grandma. Yeah, yeah, she looked like Yoda. I mean, give me a break, you know? <laughs> I loved her, but I didn't want to be married to Yoda in the future, if you know what I mean. But in any event, um, she was great. Um, and so it gave you a different attitude towards things and a sense of adventure because my biggest personal uh, um, trait and you know Carol Jack can attest to this is I'm not afraid of risk you know what I mean because I always feel like this okay you've you've accumulated a certain amount of capital and if you put it into play you can make returns if you don't put it into play it's going to erode so you might as well figure out a way of actually you know improving that situation and if it all blows up Go get a job, you know? Isn't that interesting? That's really valuable. That, that's yeah. a valuable insight. And you, you noticed that? Or you, you were like aware of that at that point in your life as a teenager? Yeah, I, you know, and, and I always had multiple jobs. I mean, I, used, I, I, I worked as a, a, a waiter, not a, a chef de ranch in a, in a five-star restaurant, um, which was part of the Grosvenor Hotel Group. You know, uh, Earl Grosvenor is like one of the richest men in the world. Ironically, I was working in there, and the first time around, I was a, a chef orange. Then they stuck me in the kitchen washing the pans, which is the worst job ever. And if you ever read uh, George Orwell, Down and Out in Paris and London, it ain't changed. I was working with sex offenders and people from the local mental health institute. God bless them, you know, and all sorts of other people who were fun, you know, to be with. But the irony is, at the same time, my wife, who I didn't know at the time, was working at reception. She was one of the Boxham babes, you know, like... She, she was working there? I did. That's not a story you ever told me. That's yeah. interesting. And, and, and there's me, you know, arms uh, in, in the sink, you know, washing all these pans and listening to uh, the chef screaming at everybody, because that's what they did. They just yeah. used the rants. And, you know, Gordon Ramsay, hey, that's not... Fake. That's what these guys do. And it was a funny situation. But it also, just by, by way of a, a, a sidebar, it also taught me 
I do not want to do that for the rest of my life. Give you a perspective. Well, it gives me perspective because you've done the job of the lowest of the low. And then I, I worked on uh, a printing press, catching newspapers off the print, off the fly and putting them into batches of 10 and then giving them to the ladies to tie up. And I just, wait, wait, Ricard, I just had an image. Remember that episode of I Love Lucy where she's taking the strawberries <laughs> off the conveyor belt? It was like that. And in addition to that, a friend I absolutely adore, Johnny Johnson, who, while that machine was going, you should have had ear defenders on, but while that machine was going, you could hear nothing. So he taught me all the words to every song of South Pacific. So we would be wailing that at the top of our voices while catching the stuff coming up. And that was the, you know, it's like a chain gang. You know, you had a song in your head, you could keep the rhythm going. Time goes by, keeps the rhythm yeah. going, keeps your mindset good. Yeah, you get your paycheck and we're all good. Yeah. But the funny thing is, it also taught me about, uh, to a certain extent, how unions work, because every so often the printers would sabotage the press, stop it running, and then they get four hours overtime. Not everybody does that. It's just an interesting experience. It's an interesting experience. You know, yeah. something that's common, I, I just want to add to what you're saying, something that I've heard, and maybe you found this to be common among people that are self-made, that have mm, childhoods, early, early childhoods and backgrounds that, for whatever reason, expose them to something that caused them to have a vision or a mindset of, I don't want this, I want something more. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that, I'm picking that out of what you're saying. And I find it common among anybody that I talk to or, or that I watch or follow. It's very similar to what you're saying. You had a goal, you had visions, you had something, you wanted more. You're absolutely right. It did give me an appreciation of people in lower tier jobs. And I, you know, I read Orwell. I read, uh, you know, Aldous um, Huxley and all those books, you know, although they were novels about the class system and whatnot. So I understood that. And it also gave me a pre a appreciation of what those working people were like. It's just that I also realized that to make any headway in life in general, you have to get away from that. Because I didn't want to be a printer. They offered me a job, funnily enough. Um, and, you know, I, it was one of those dying professions. Great guys and all that sort of stuff. Loved working with them. They were fun. But at the end of the day, you got to look for something that allows you to expand your horizons. So. And, but you, you, you knew, you, you, you knew inherently you wanted something more. You yeah. had those experiences, which are totally valuable. Um, you can reflect on them. You probably learned a lot of valuable lessons. Like for example, how to get over time, uh, yeah. you know, things like but that. That was not a good lesson. That made me, you know, I'm inherently, I'm, I'm an old socialist in the, true sense of the word, not the, uh, uh, you know, communist slash Stalinist sense of the word. I'm talking about progressive socialists in Denmark and Scandinavia and that kind of thing. So that's my attitude. So I, I appreciate people. The point is, for me as an individual, I decided that I was not going to be stuck in that milieu on the conveyor belt again, which placed me in a, yeah, you have a lovely life, but if you wanted to do something outside of that, you had to put the time in, you know, and this is what we're coming to next because the, the other thing is I also learned during that period that to improve your chances of success in any endeavor, you have to go above and beyond. In other words, if you want to clock in at nine and clock out at five and co collect your paycheck and go get hammered on a Friday night, that's fine. But if you basically wanted something more than that, then you've got to do the research before you clock in at nine and at five o'clock, you've got to get hit the books and, and uh, uh, study and look around to see what else is out there and look for opportunities because to a certain extent, opportunities are made. They're not found. You know, it's great when um, Zuckerberg or any of those guys you know, build a business based upon an idea that they didn't have because they stole it from the twins, of course. But the point I'm trying to make is that at the end of the day, you know, opportunities are, they don't fall in your lap, not usually. You know, I mean, look at um, Berkshire Hathaway. He works like a dog and he's 80 or whatever it is. And the point is that I, I would rather model myself on that than looking for some chance, you know. And do you think... 
I mean, clearly what you're saying is that had a large part to do with the end result of what you ended up building, which we'll definitely, we're going to get to in depth, but the, what you were saying is there are no shortcuts. You have to work hard and you got to work harder than everybody else. Come in early, stay late. Has that changed in the past 30, 40,000 years? It's funny because I was thinking about that the other day, all during the pandemic, when they closed down all the offices in New Jersey, where my office was at the time, I went to, to work every day. Now, officially, the office wasn't open, but it was financial services, so you got a pass. But everybody else was out, and I was the only one there, you know, switching on the lights, spending my time at my desk, talking to clients. Why is that? I don't know. I just felt I, it was a better environment for me than, you know, sit at my desk at home. I mean, now I can do it, you know, but it, it's a discipline. You know what I mean? Getting out, doing the work, it's yeah. a routine. And the other thing, of course, is just something else that I was thinking about when you were talking is opportunities also arise from connections. The bigger your network and the more people you come in contact with, the more ideas you get which are at a variance from what you might see on a, a regular basis where you just narrow your network, let's put it that way. Uh, we're working on a couple of projects right now which are very interesting, and one involves NFTs and DeFi and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's very cool, and, yeah. And, and, and the point I'm trying to make is that that came from one of our clients who happens to be an attorney who was talking to me about the art world and what's happening with regards to, you know, uh, non-fungible tokens and things. So the third person has brought that up to me today. We got to talk about that offline. I think it's a huge opportunity. I mean, yeah. I know it is. Everybody knows uh, it is. Oh yeah. Uh, huge, 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 huge. Um, and cryptocurrency and all the yeah. other stuff. Huge. I mean, what's happening in the marketplace. Yeah, I know. And it, that's kind of what we're basically doing in the future. But let's get back to what we were talking about, which is as, as an individual, at home up in the north of England, I was, um, like I said, looking outside the box because, you know, I could have stayed there. I could have made a good career. Wait, hold on, pause. Liv, I'm shooting a podcast. You can't come in here. <laughs> what are you trying to do? God, uh, for the next half hour, you can't come in here. Say hi to Ricardo. Hi, um. Just have that Ricardo. All right. Get out of here. Oh, get out. Get out. <laughs> Do not come back in here till, till, uh, till I tell you it's okay. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, the, you know, um, get... Wait, wait, wait. Pause, pause. I want to start it so they can edit it. You were talking about opportunities, man. You got to go back to that. And that's a, so it's such an important topic because opportunities connect... To, you, you saw opportunities along the way that you, you took you somewhere. Yeah. And, and often, well, the two there's a couple of, it, it's, a, it's a multi-layered concept, okay? Because there are opportunities within the world at large and you can see trends develop. You just have to read the paper, stay off things like Fox News and, and, and that sort of stuff. Look at things that are going to educate you. You know, even listening to something stupid like NPR podcasts, they talk about a trend and then it might impact you in your work. They don't see it. Yeah, yeah. it broadens your thinking. It gives you the opportunity. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the, the, you're creating opportunities by, by having your antennas up. You're listening, you're, you're reading the paper, you're watching the news, you're talking to people, like you're saying, you're networking. If, if, if you're not doing that, then how do the opportunities even present themselves where you begin to have the... Um, the awareness to take advantage of an opportunity. Like they don't, you do create them by, by being present. Right. And, and, and so there's that aspect of it, but there's also, you know, uh, you know, I, I write screenplays as a fun thing. I mean, I just do it because it helps me create it sometimes. And one of the uh, axioms of uh, screen writing or screenplay writing is that you write about what you know. Okay. So bringing that into our discussion here, you also look for opportunities in areas where you have at least a basic understanding. I mean, you know, I couldn't go out there and invent a new ice cream flavor, you know? I couldn't split the atom. 
but I understand my business, which is basically financial services, and I see what's going on in, in market trends. And so consequently, I might be able to take something I've learned, like in this particular case, it's uh, insurance products for the fine art, fine art, right? And then modify that to, um, to fit the circumstances of a digital asset. Because basically, what we're looking at anyway is art, you know? I mean, it's art in a digital format. So how do I take those art, fine art concepts and put them into this particular area, you know, this, this digital world? And it's just a question of tying bits of information together and cobbling together a, a product or a process or whatever it might be that, that is, to a certain extent, um, innovative. I wouldn't be so arrogant as to say that because basically the best ideas are usually old ideas that have been reworked. And that's uh, a paraphrasing David Bowie, who always used to say, my output is based upon what I learned as a kid, you know? And like he, a lot of his early songs are very yeah, much... Yeah, yeah. Anthony Newley was a, a pop star in the 60s and he based a lot of his work on that. And, you know, when he went and did all that Young American stuff, he was basically ripping off Philly Soul. And he would always admit that. And the same with a good entrepreneur. Most entrepreneurs are not... Uh, prime movers but what they can do is they can take what's in a space and change it into something else you know wow it's interesting perspective yeah because you can modify what's there are very few unique ideas yeah you're not inventing anything you're you said something to me before we um we actually hit the record button today and it was actually i taking what you just said a step further you said it's about I believe you said servicing people or delivering value. Isn't that what you said to me earlier? Yeah. And that's what entrepreneurs do. And you may, maybe you do it in a way that you're really connecting with people, but uh, you didn't, like you said, you didn't invent the business that you're in, but no. wow, did you, you had an impact. You really impacted people's lives. I was able to build a business based upon what I understood uh, of the environment. And again, we go back to that was essentially looking at what was available and see if, see if I could do it better. And then secondly, the relationships that I developed during that time. And then thirdly, trying to uh, look at other businesses and how they develop their distribution model. So essentially using that because, you know, to a great extent, the insurance industry is still close to, you know, Noah and the Ark. I mean, really, it's just, it's very high, high bound. And it's one of those businesses where, the, the overriding opinion is if it ain't Brett broke, why are we going to fix it? There's a big move right now with regards to developing what's called insure tech. And a lot of it is just BS because at the end of the day, you've got to convince the gods of insurance and there are lots of them around that this is a better way of distributing, but it's not really, it's just using technology to sell the same old stuff, you know? Isn't that interesting? It's like apply, you're applying something that already exists and you're making it fit. But I just got to, I got to ask you a question. We jumped, we, we skipped There's There's the people that are watching this are going to watch this. They're, they're, they're wondering, wait, wait, how did he, how did he get from where he was when he was working in that kitchen to, to, to where he is now? I, I, I want to, I want to pick up where, at that point where maybe you decided to leave England to come to the U S because you saw something. Let's get back to that. I mean, you know, I, I was looking for a career. I wanted a career that had designations. Um, I eventually found a job with a, a what they call a bucket shop insurance agency that sells a homeowners. bucket shop. Yeah. Okay. It, it just means it sells homeowners and, and auto insurance. They sell everything. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you, know, you the, need. The, the, the guy, the Allstate guy, same kind of thing. Yeah. My specialty, funnily enough, where the first time I got involved in programs was selling insurance for Robin Reliant three-wheeler cars. I'm laughing because I don't even know what that is. It, it, it looks like a boat. It has a wheel in the front and two wheels at the back, and it's made of fiberglass. And if you ever watch uh, a Top Gear, they test drove one, one once, and it, it tried, they tried to take a corner, and it rolled. It rolled over. It must have rolled over. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's where, that's where I started thinking about programs. And then what happened is, you know, it was a great firm, but the only way I could get on would be to kill the principal, and I wasn't going to do that. And so I ended up working in um, Lloyds of London, 
And again, you see, here you go, snot-nosed kid from the north of England, working class roots and all that sort of stuff. And they drop you in the, in the middle of this, and I'm working on S.G. Warburg's uh, insurance, the big merchant banker. Uh, Siggy War, Warburg was a, was a god in the insurance business, you know. And, um, and I looked after all the board of directors, and then I met people like Tommy Sopwith, who doesn't mean anything to you except he, he designed the Sopwith Camel, and he also designed the Hawker Hurricane, which is the airplane that won the Battle of Britain. So you know, oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very cool. Yeah, I ensured his camera collection. But my, my point being is, again, networking, being exposed to these people who were very interesting. Um, Did you know that you were networking when you were networking at that early age? Was it intentional, or was it just it felt like it just made sense? No, they, they dropped me in it. They just said, "Hey, here you yeah. go," and and you either you either sink or swim. And you sink know, or swim, right? Well, I was kind of intimidated. Um, but there's something natural that you have. I'm part, I, I don't want to keep interrupting you, but there's, there's things that are, you're saying that are so important. There's something natural that you have, that I don't, which I also find common. So they dropped you in the deep end. It was sink or swim. Yeah. Well, there was something that allowed you to swim. And it, it's something that people could learn, but you have it naturally. You, you have the ability to assimilate, to talk, to socialize, to like connect with people. It, 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 it's okay yeah uh, and it's also and this is more important is and sales to, by the way sales i mean it's a sales learning to swallow your fears because we go back to that's a big one work out who cares you can you know i mean i've done some things in the past which i didn't like and uh, and kick myself in the backside later on but at the end of the day you know you you dust yourself off and you we keep on. going yeah you, you don't let that keep you hold you back you just say okay i learned from that bang onto the next thing but that you must have carried that along the way because so you you i'm sorry i got to connect the dots you, you had the the childhood that you you were talking about you knew you wanted something more you had all these experiences that created more of that desire you found a a niche that it was interesting to you that you enjoyed enough to pursue it for decades to, to come and um maybe you didn't know at the time that you were finding that niche but you were in it and you were doing it and, and you're discovering that this is important. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur and, and we, you and I have talked about this so many times. Stuff happens to you. I mean, you fall on your face, you make mistakes. People you know, are, are giving you a hard time. And when you, one thing we, we deal with is fear. I mean, it's yeah. when, when you're, 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 there's so many things that could stop you at any given time. And you just are, you're, you're, you're telling me that when they threw you in the deep end, there was some fear going on there. But what's your choice? Go back to where you started or, or push through it? You pushed, you pushed. And they, and they had me going to luncheon meetings in, you know, in, in the city of London with all these bankers. And I'm this dumbass kid from the north of England. You're like, what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, How did I get in this room? The, the same experience happened to me a couple of years back. One of the uh, uh, um, super companies wants to acquire us. And I won't mention who it is. They're big, big mucky mucks, billion-dollar company. And they wheeled me into the boardroom. And it was like, there was me and then six of them. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do with this? So I just treated that like stand up. <laughs> Wait, that's funny. That could be scary, right? So maybe in that moment there's fear, but it's, you could t is it fear or is it excitement? You got to, it's the same thing that's pumping in your body. So you turn the fear into excitement and you do a stand up comp, a stand up routine. <laughs> you just have to figure out how best can I deal with this? Because I've had other situations where, you know, the moment has immediately overwhelmed me. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I remember, uh, you know, back in the 14th century again, I was uh, a model on a catwalk just for fun, you know? And I stopped. Wait, up. wait, say that again? Yeah, it, it was a fun thing. It was just fun. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't getting paid for it. You, 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 you were a model on a catwalk. Sure. I, all right, go ahead. I'm not like, you know, Brad Pitt or anything. I want to see a picture of that. Yeah, well, it was funny because the first guy started off before me and then he turned around and I started off too early and I went, and it continued. <laughs> it was one of those situations where there's like, you know, 600 people in the audience and at that moment, I just prayed for the floor to open and <laughs> so I Right, just, right. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, that, that was a, a, a negative situation. But after that, I mean, I, I was embarrassed. But who cares? 
You but know? isn't that growth? That's the growth. I, people refer yeah, to it as post-traumatic growth. Something happens, and rather than shut down or avoid it in the future, it actually causes you to grow. Like you did something you were uncomfortable with, like going in that boardroom, you grew, and ultimately you, I mean, were probably in thousands of boardrooms, and you were seen as the expert later on, you know? Right. And, and so it brings us to uh, another principle here, which is this. If you have a stressful situation, regardless of what it is, and it's really important to you, right? Practice. You know, just just go off and, and, and practice it in some way, shape, or form, which allows you to gain a rhythm so that when you are asked to perform, because that's what you're doing, then you are able to sort of hit your, your notes. You know, I mean, that's you know, gold. I mean, what you just said, when you say practice, it's, I'm also hearing a preparation. Yeah. Like practice and preparation. And, when, and you're right. When you do that, you are going on a stage, whether it's sales. And if you want to build a multi-million dollar business from nothing, you better be able to pr practice and prepare and perfect your craft. You're all, you've always got to uh, uh, have um, a stretch. Yeah, and you've always got to have certain standby materials. Like, you know, I told you about the joke about the family and the, the Star Wars thing. At the end of the day, I will use that sometimes as a gag so that people will like you. So it doesn't matter what you say with regards to the business issue. They've already decided that you're funny and they like you. And, so and they can relate to you because that's everybody's family. Yeah, it is. It, is. Exactly so. <laughs> it really is. With the music playing in the background and everything. Right. And, and communication and building bridges with people is very important uh, because at the end of the day, much. these are the decision makers. Wait, I think yeah. that's a decision maker. Behind me. I fired the cool guy. Oh, she's just fired somebody and hired somebody else. Welcome to my world. Um, right. Anyway, uh, so, so yeah, the point is that, you know, uh, having preparation, practicing a little bit, just so that you can can listen to yourself. I don't necessarily believe in recording yourself because that doesn't help me. But, uh, you know, there are places where it's a good idea to have you know, a little bag of tricks. And if you can remember what they are, then you don't flub it when you go in. Because if you go in completely cold, and, and that, 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 that uh, board of directors uh, presentation that time was a little bit that way because I didn't expect that. They, they dropped that on me. But because I had a bag of tricks I could go back to, and this is something I've done in the past, it helped me get past that. We didn't do a deal, ironically, which is funny because – um, they bought somebody else and it didn't work out, but that's another story. Anyway. But having that, having that, that, that bag of tricks, it's, isn't that really you just having certainty and confidence, you know, that you have things that you can speak about confidently that you just know, and people are going to feel, um, they can feel confidence and they can feel certainty and they're not going to choose to work with somebody if they don't feel confidence and certainty, it's the unspoken sale. Yeah. You're I mean, right. right? Can, Are you going to buy something from somebody that you don't trust because you don't feel that, they, that there's a confidence there? It's that swagger you have. Somebody I was talking to yesterday used this term. I've never heard it. Swagger versus stagger, right? There's a, there's a thing you feel like, wow, this guy's he knows what he's talking about. Like, I think I can work with him. I think I can trust him. Yeah. And that because you have the bag of tricks. It's not really tricks. It's just, it's, it's, it's your knowledge. Yeah, it's, it's knowledge that comes from experience too and being able to uh, field a question that you've heard before. That helps. But again, yes. it goes back to the issue of fear and overcoming fear. And exactly. having, I don't give up about a situation because at the end of the day, if this, does, this doesn't work today, tomorrow it might. And, and, and that's partially due to a positive outlook with regards to any challenges. Like I said- Man, you're touching you on all the most important world. points. That's yeah. so important. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because I had I was something I wanted to ask you. Do you. Have you found on that topic, have you found that you, whether it's somebody that you're, again, we're skip, I'm skipping forward. We still got to connect the building of the business, but having people around you that are negative versus positive and how that can suck your energy, even your creativity, you know, you, when you're trying to build something, you're trying to get somewhere, 
negative thinking, really, I mean, it, it, it's not really an option, right? You got to keep your mindset positive. That's really hard to do. Yeah, that's true. And to a certain extent, um, that team may not be the team that's in your office. It could be a, a network of people that are within your milieu who will just listen to you and say without any fear of contradiction or, or, or even agenda, you're, you, you're nuts. Or that sounds good. You know, and then that gives you uh, uh, the inspiration to go forward with it. And and like, for example, when I, um, uh, you know, started this business, so first part, just moving on from what we were saying, you know, I was a broker for all these big ticket companies in, in the US. I was a broker for all insurance. the- Insurance, you were an insurance broker, not a financial- Right, accounting okay. firms and right. law firms and uh, management consulting firms, big ones. I'm talking about the biggest. And they were clients of ours. Right. You're getting experience. You're working with all these big firms, working for somebody else. You're really fine-tuning your skills and you're getting experience. You're probably exposed to unbelievable people that you're picking up all sorts of like good um, habits and ideas from, right? And, and it's all, it all came into use, I'm sure, down the road when you yes. did start your own company. Yeah, we did. And a lot of things I did with the bigger companies, which were innovative inside of that, because you know, they're, they're all like working for the feds. You know, I mean, they're big companies. Right. They have, they have their rules. Um, and I tried to sort of be a maverick inside that, but I got to the stage where I realized that if I wanted to earn more, unless I wanted to become like managing director or president of the company, which didn't really interest me because there was a lot of politics involved, then you had to do your own thing. And that becoming the, the captain of your own ship allowed you to also um, recoup the rewards financially of, of that particular situation. So um, we, we're not, we went off on a tangent here. The point I'm trying to make is that no, you're actually right on track. You, you, you still had this vision. You wanted more and you knew all these maybe, I'm not sure, years or maybe a decade or time went by. Inside, you still were on this path. You're still searching for something. You, you achieved levels of I, I know because you had shared with me uh, privately. You had achieved levels of success in corporate, both financially and, and as you said, you could have been a director, but you wanted something more and you knew that you were only going to you maybe you plateaued and to re, to really get more to really create to really reach your own full potential you had to start something else you yeah. had to start and, your own thing and and the funny thing was you know i did all the designations i became a fellow of chartered bloody bar whatever and i i did I, and i worked my way up the corporate ladder so i was a senior regional director and i did all the other things that you expect but and you're still in england it, yeah no no this is in, in in the u.s too um Wait, bring us, bring us there, though. Wait, hold on, bring us there. You so somewhere in there, you 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 came to the U.S. and I think you said you were 28. So this all happened in the U.S. We missed a step, and that's yeah, step one. Um, we reported from England to the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So Carolyn and I were in. We lived in London, and I was working for the Lloyd's broker, and it was something in an okay time. And we went back home to Chester. And we had a really crappy time over Christmas. And the, the differences that we alluded to earlier became more obvious. That, you know, my friends were still doing the, let's go out Friday night and get hammered and, you know, pick up a yeah. girl and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in a much more serious situation where I'm looking at a career and I'm trying to build things. And I'm in a relationship, you know? So we're in the car. How old were you? Uh, 26, 27. So they were looking at you differently already. These people, your friends, they were looking at you differently because you you were evolving differently, different pace. Yeah. You know, my mother said to me once, uh, she criticized me because uh, as a kid, I always wanted to be an archaeologist because I love history. That's interesting. She told me off about that because, you know, my friends are all engineers and they, they're like... They don't mix, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things. Yeah. Back to the story, we came back from, from England, had, uh, sorry, uh, from Chester. We had such a eh time that we said, let's emigrate. And so uh, she- That was it. You just made a decision and, and it. done. You right. just knew. And, 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 you know, we were ready. Uh, we sold our house for a boatload of money uh, in London because the market was still viable and, and buoyant. And we- um, she caught, we were choosing between Australia and Canada, and the Australian said, great, 
we love you, blah, blah, blah. And then the Canadians told Galifianet that because she was born in Canada, she didn't need to emigrate. She's coming home. So but she was already a citizen of, of, in Canada. Yeah, she didn't know that. She didn't know it at all. She was she left when she was six months old. Interesting. So so by dint of that, our son became a citizen immediately. And I was the only one that had to emigrate, which was a funny experience in itself, but that's a subject of another story. But so you did that to pursue you're just continuing along at that point corporate, right? And you're you're working for those large companies. <clears throat> now you're on a different continent, and now the path really begins to to you beginning to go to that next stage of your life where your business is on the horizon. Again, it's one of those situations where, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a, a junior in position, really, but you're given bigger opportunities. And the more successful you are in handling those opportunities, the more responsibility gets dumped on your shoulders because the corporate world's yeah. approach to most people is, oh, they didn't screw that up. Let's give them more. Exactly. And, so, and, and if you can handle it, and like I said, it used to be funny because, um, you know, there's like a couple hundred people working for this company. We were in Montreal at the time. And at the end of the day, the, the CFO would come walking around all the offices and everybody's office light would be switched off except mine. And I'd be sitting there working away because my attitude was, if I can put the extra time in, and get this done, I'll learn something that will help me later on. So, so there's the theme again. That's, you said that, I think it's come up twice already. Work harder than everybody else. Don't be a clock watcher, yeah. you know, and, and get, get your education. Really, really like, like learn and, and no, absorb valuable information. There is two tracks here, though, because I worked for a company and I like working for them. And there was a colleague of mine who was basically a rival. And he was pretty and he was personable. And he, and he you know, was able to get on with people, never put the extra hours in as far as I could see. So I was there doing my thing, and he was there doing his thing. Both were equally successful, but it was a just different approach. You know? like I said, people look at you too differently because of people knew you were, you were the harder worker? No, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, our boss at the time was affectionate towards that gentleman, and he tolerated me because I was dumped on him by somebody else. So, person in a higher position so the point okay. is because he's packed now but the point is because of the fact that we got results that's all that matters didn't matter how you got there as long as you got the results you there's know, something else that might have happened there and maybe we don't have to go into it but maybe that was as far as he got maybe that was him reaching his full potential and look where you look how much farther you went no 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 no, no. not at all actually um uh, he followed my example. So when <laughs> I quit and formed my own company, yeah. a year and a half later, he did the same thing. And, Interesting. Not, and he's smart. And don't get me yeah. wrong. You know, I'm not saying he, he was any less uh, capable than I, but the point is that he parlayed his skills and his attractiveness in forming another company. And I think he sold it for upwards of $10 million a couple of years later. So we did okay. Yeah. You're a hard worker. I was just curious if your hard work was, was uh, it sounds like um, he must have worked equally as hard. You can't build a $10 million business if you're not working hard. It's not possible. And, and, and he was very slick. He was also, um, he was very good at relationships and things like that. I was more, yeah. you know. Uh, Get it done. Uh, in, in my own way and an innovator in my own way, he was very good at the interpersonal skills. Let's put it that way. And each track can get you to the same place. So, I mean, I'm not degrading it. I don't want to do that. That would be... Unfair. No, no. I was just curious about the hard work. It sounded like uh, sometimes when I, when I speak with people, it, it comes up where, where and you've, you've alluded to it already that with your friends, that when you began to stand out because you were taking a different approach, they began to look at you differently. So I was wondering if that was happening when you were working in that company. We, we were rivals. Yeah. I, I can't not say that. And, uh, yeah. you know, and then when I quit, I think he breathed a sigh of relief because he took a particular path and, and then it ended in, you know, what? Well, you got as much as you were able to get or as much as you needed in order to take the, take the leap, to take the risk and go do it on your own. I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, I got to the stage in my career where I was thinking, I, you know, to move on, I'm going to either have to kill somebody 
or alternatively, they've got to quit. And you know, because yeah. you get in an instant. You could wait a while for that. Yeah, right. And I, and I had that experience in another job, and I just thought, I don't need this. Um, I'd rather go out and again come back to making your own opportunities. You know, and just looking and finding and and uh, evolving these particular situations. So when you started that, did you? I mean, that that must have been scary, right? To just you plan for it, you did everything you could, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to go do it now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, a period, of course, where we were we were free free floating when it came to yeah. finances. You know, taking mortgage house and that sort of stuff. But again, like I said, you have to have a devil no care attitude, which is why I alluded to earlier, which is essentially. If it all goes sideways, I'll go get a job. You could yeah. always go back. It's 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 yeah. nice to have the safety net because you confidence. You you know what you're capable of. You could always go back. Um, might be a little uncomfortable, right? Well, in that period, but at the end of the day, you know you'll be fine. Yeah, and I've got friends, uh, you know, in, in in the world right now who are very good at what they do, and we're talking about bringing them on staff, you know, and, and to do a particular thing. But, you know, my attitude is I can guarantee you your, your base salary. I can give you the benefits and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, there's always an element of risk. And you have to take that into consideration when you take this sort of position because you have to be a bit of an entrepreneur. And some of them don't have the stones for it. And, it's you know, it's better to have that paycheck and, and fight for your bonus every year and, and make sure you get and all that. You know, you mentioned earlier, and, and this is what it is. People are, everybody, we're all brought up. I read in a book, a uh, 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 term, I thought it was kind of cool, called sheeple. Basically, we're all sheep. Everybody's brought up to, you know, I don't know if you ever followed this guy. I followed him. His name is Robert Kiyosaki. He, he wrote that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He's a, he's a well-known guy now. With his, his point of view has is, is, uh, been taken on by a lot of people. But the idea that you we're all, we, we go to school. We get the education because we're supposed to. You go to college because you're supposed to. You get a job because you're supposed to. You buy a house because you're supposed to, like you said before. And and then you ask, you ask yourself, wait a minute, like, do I really have to do this? I mean, am I reaching my full potential if I do this? Most of the people, I'm making this up, maybe, I don't know, 95% of the people out there. I mean, most of the people that we probably both know, for the most part, get up every day and go to work, which is yeah. which is important and it's necessary. And it's... um you know, there's, it's, it's what most people want, but there are some people who want more, who see it differently, who are outliers, who end up being the entrepreneurs that are able to build something, right? Push through. And we're going to, I want to talk about this now, all the difficulties when you make that decision to start your own business every day for weeks, months, years, it's not that easy, is it? No. (laughs) What's it like? 24, seven, Seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's always in your mind somewhere. Always in your mind. And all the risk. Yeah. And, and, and the, the problem with that is that, you know, when you're sitting on the beach with your drink with the umbrella in it, you're only half off. You know? No, because the other half is right here. You're going like this. You know, you, you, got, the one, you got your phone ringing while you're sipping your drink. Uh, I know. And the, 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 it's like... Like, as I said earlier, it's why I, you know, have fun writing screenplays. Now, I've got friends in Hollywood and all that sort of stuff. And if I was wanted to be aggressive, I would push those things. But at the end of the day, I don't really care if they ever get made into anything. I'm just doing them because it allows the brain to switch off and uh, a different creativity. Creative outlet. Yeah, which is inspiring. It feels good. But, but the funny thing is when you're doing that and that side of your brain is ticking or over, you come up with all sorts of ideas business-wise. It's just because you've cleared out the clutter to a certain extent. It's like you're meditation right. in a way. I mean, it's, I find when I meditate, I do it every morning. The, it's counterintuitive because when I'm doing it every morning, so many ideas are coming into my head when it's supposed to be still that I have to stop sometimes and write down because I don't want to forget what I'm thinking. It's the same thing, you know? Yeah. I used to keep a notepad by my bed all the time with a pencil and I would think about something and I'd come up with a cracking idea and then I'd write it down. And those are opportunities. Like you never know. It's all opportunities. It's, yeah. but, that's I, the I, life I, of an entrepreneur. But friends who are running have the same idea. There's a sort of a zen thing that you're there and you, you know, you stamp it. 
striding away and you come up with ideas. Um, how important did you find this, the ability to pivot? Like the built the, oh, I mean, you were in business for geez, what was it, 25 years? Uh, longer, but okay. Uh, Oops, nine, yeah, so 25, 30 years, things changed. I mean, as much as the industry might've stayed the same, it, it, nothing stays the same, it changed. You had to pivot, you had to make decisions, sometimes right, sometimes wrong along the way. How important was that ability to pivot in a timely manner before you wasted too much time and balancing that with, you know, having to make a decision right, whether it was right or wrong. Well, that's actually raised to several issues though. One is explore an idea as much as you can based upon the resources you have, do research around it and whatnot. But at the end of the day, if you come to a realization that this is not going to work, shut it down. Shut it Just down quickly. Shut it down because there's no point. You're going to be frustrated, and, and so it's not worth uh, uh, pursuing that any longer. And then the other thing is, like I said to you before, use your network as a sounding board and just talk to people and continually try and get uh, alternative perspectives on any particular issue that you have. And, and challenges, again, you know, like you said before, think them through as best you can, you know, and then get some sort of quiet time because during that quiet time, the solution may arise because you haven't thought about it during the previous consideration because you got stuck on the point, you know? Uh, it's a weird, I know it sounds very- No, I mean, I'm laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling because that quiet time is something that it, I have found to be, as I'm building a business, that quiet time, is one of the most valuable things that, that, that I, that I have. And, and like, you have to find your, 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 you have to manage your time in a way where you create that quiet time. That is where the ideas come. Sometimes it's where the decisions present themselves. It's, or sometimes that's where the, um, the thought that you even need to pivot presents. It all happens. If you don't find that quiet time, your brain is never in that place, like where it's open to those thoughts, even entering it. Cause you're always putting out fires or you're, you're, sending out quotes, you're, you're, you're running the business. You got to step out of the business sometimes. And right. you, I know you, I mean, you, you're for you, 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 like you said, you, you write, a, you write a lot, you read. And, um, I know you like your quiet time and I, I, I can relate to that because that's where it happens. That's, that's not operational. That's, that's strategic. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a five o'clock in the morning guy though. I like to get up. No one's around and, and think about things and work on things before the uh, influence of the day. Because I, I do the same thing. I Every day friends, up at five o'clock. You know, I got friends that wait, you know, one friend I was speaking to earlier, he, he stays up till three in the morning. I, I can't do it because I'm nine o'clock, I'm dead to the world. I'm with you, man. Five o'clock, I wake up, I'm in bed 9.30, but that time in the morning when the sun, just before the sun comes up, there's something in that stillness Yep. The book I read called The 5 a.m. Club, which is by uh, Robin Sharma, which is about that. And it's about and, and I actually subscribe to the, the um, have that quiet time. Um, for me, I read for 20 minutes. I meditate for 20 minutes. I might um, exercise for 20. And then I have at least another hour before everybody else gets out of bed and the world catches up. Yeah. It really set the tone for the day. And my God, what a, I mean, it changes the day. But the running of the business is impacted by doing that. You know, then you can do like you know to do lists, and you can figure out what's important for that day. You set your priorities. Yeah, yeah. What's most important, you know, and, and it's really unbelievable. Right. We gonna have to do a part two of this, my friend, because we're 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 we got half the story told, and we're an hour and a half in. It's. Um, <laughs> I really am gonna have to do a part two with you. Verbose, is that what you're saying? No, no. It's like you're, there's so much good information that that like I want to unpack so much, but. Yeah. We got to do a part two. We're going to have to. Tell me right. something. Tell me yeah. something. Um, what I would suggest, suggest you do is, you know, take a look at what you've got. And if you want to edit it down, it's fine. Oh, wait, then, I'm not done. Hold on. Hold on. You just took over the show. Hold on. Wait, we're going to, I have to, I have two more questions. We'll pause for a sec. I'll start okay. up again. So we're definitely going to do a part two because we, we've got to get to, there's so much more that you, what did you achieve when you, when you built that business, um, not numbers wise, but you grew it and you grew it and, and, you, and we, want to, we want to hear that story. In fact, maybe we can take two more minutes and we can just, we can summarize and say, you well, grew that business to be very large, multi-million dollar business, right? 
But what, what, what I was thinking more importantly, what you need to think about is what motivates you as a business person, right? And a human being. Yeah. What, what is your goal here? Because some people, it's, you know, having the big house and the big yacht. You know, uh, some people, it's, um, you know, the, the, the prestige, you know. Um, some people, it's just service to others. Yeah, you know, there's that too. But in my case, it was actually just the idea of building something, having a baby, you know, just, just doing that. And I, I, didn't, I didn't care about how much money I made. I, I, I mean, I obviously wanted the minimum level of income. Uh, and I didn't uh, care about the assets that you acquired during the course of that time, being a real capitalist. But, you know, I enjoyed the, uh, the family aspect of business, dealing with people, and then, as you just said, the service aspect, because some of our clients I, I like a lot. They're fun people. You know, you can yeah. talk about other things. And so, essentially, there's a lot of uh, reward and satisfaction from just the interaction, the human interaction. Yeah. And the fulfillment of that pursuit and, you know, coming full circle, you had the, the desire and maybe the goals and the vision as, a, as a, a boy or a young man early on. And you were able to use your, um, your work ethic, your, um, your mindset, and a variety of other, of other tools, your networking ability, your ability to connect with people. You ultimately took all of that built a very large enterprise and achieved your goals. The, yeah. the goals you just set out, you achieved them. And not only that, you impacted other people's lives along the way, because I happen to know that you and your wife, Carol Jeanette, are very, very giving people. Um, you give away a lot of your time and, and money for causes you believe in. And we didn't touch on that, but we should. We shouldn't leave that out because that's maybe the most important thing. Uh, yeah, tonight I've got a dinner with a group uh, who support the LGBTQ mm -hmm. center here. I mean, like kids, and we're talking about 16 to 20. Yeah, yeah. So, and you yeah. guys are always finding, a, you know, you have causes. You guys are always, and now, even now when you got, so let me just say, you recently sold the company. You could probably choose to, you could do whatever you want, but you, you're still, you still have causes, but you're still things that are important to you and Carol Jeanette. And, um, and that's important when you're building a business along the way, like you just said, don't forget why you're doing it. It's not just about the money. It's about what's your impact? What, you, you, what, are you fulfilled? Are you happy along the way? If you're miserable, is it really worth it? Yeah, and, and it, it's, it boils down to fun. Are you enjoying what you're doing? Love well, it. We yeah. had a conversation about this uh, before and when I said, you know, you use the word win and I don't like that because there's a component of American business that has to be ruthless and, and, and take no prisoners. I mean, in the, in the biggest, most successful businesses adopt that approach. Um, and, and to a certain extent, that will work for a lot of people. But I, I don't subscribe to that. My uh, personal belief is it's always better to have a win-win. because It, it in, must be a win-win. It has yeah, to be. Yeah, because there are so many stakeholders and you can't alienate one because it's going to cause a knock-on effect elsewhere. And so what I'm trying to say is that in business, you could go through your career basically dumping on people. And you get and, and you tread on these people and hurt them temporarily because it doesn't always work out. Uh, uh, they crush completely. And then later on, like five, six, seven, ten years later, you may have to deal with this person again. Oh, true. And it, it, it will happen. That will happen. Yeah. yeah. Who, who doesn't forget that you dumped on them? On the flip side of that, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on doing favors for people. So if somebody asks me to do them a solid and it doesn't cost me, or it doesn't create too much of a problem for me, I'm always willing to do that, you know, because ultimately it's a great thing to do for people. You that's know? who so, you are. That's, that's you being yeah. you. Yeah, but it's also, it's, it, it's good sense. I mean, it is, but it's also good sense because, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who uh, we helped in the past who now have big jobs in our industry over a course of 15 years, and they don't forget that you reach down to them. You know, and so that's, that's a good yeah. thing. To, it's it's, it's yeah. just being humanist to a certain extent. Let me ask you one last question. And this one, I'm going to, you, 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 you need to keep it. I want you to give me a concise answer because the people that are listening to this, they're listening to this because you're a guy 
that built something from nothing. You, so if you were the 28 year old version of yourself talking to yourself right now, what, what is it that you would say, what advice would you give for the next 25 years? You're about to start a business. What stands out? Well, no matter what happens, what should you keep true to your heart? And how should you, how should you conduct yourself? What's most important? Okay, so that's a, that's a big question. I'll give it you in as short as possible uh, uh, way. Um, first, establish goals. Carol Jeanette always says that I have five-year plans. So make sure they're realistic. Make sure they're fluid. So if there are good things that happen on the way, you can modify them. But have those plans in place because without a map, you're not going to get to where you, you want. You don't know where you're going. Secondarily, make as many connections as you can. You can't have too many friends. And regardless of you know, what they can do for you, that's irrelevant because what that person represents today and what that person represents in five years' time might be completely different. And so consequently, always keep adding to your network of connections. And then finally, you know, figure out what your, you know, your life goals are going to be. What, 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 what do you want to do with yourself? You know, I mean, we all have that 10, you know, was it three score years and 10 and then you die? Um, whatever it is, I'll probably screw that up. But the point I'm trying to make is you have a certain time on, on earth and whatever your religion is or, or whatever, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you've got to try and do as much good as you possibly could in that time, you know? And so, don't lose sight of that while you're building your business. Keep, yeah. Don't lose sight of that. Yeah, because, you know, it's like if you can have a business that does good, I mean, I don't want to be in the environmental business or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But the point is that if you can step outside of your business every so often and just pay back, you know, that's always a good thing. That's it, really. I mean, I mean there are other things, too, but you gave me a short period of time. No, that's those are some really important keys. And uh, we're, as we wind this down, I have a question for you. Is there, if anybody who's watching this actually had a question, they just wanted some advice, is, do you ha is there like a, a LinkedIn or Instagram or something where somebody could send you a message and say, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, sure. I, you know, we, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, under my name. Okay. And, Ric Ricard Jorgensen and, on LinkedIn. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I have goofy pictures on Facebook. And, uh, on Facebook. Awesome. My email address is rjorgensen at jorgensenandcompany.com written out in full bit of a long one but there you are awesome. and so it'd be my pleasure I mean I, I enjoy the idea of uh, mentoring people and giving my advice it may be worthless but because I might not understand their business <clears throat> but I can if I can't answer the question I might have a friend within the network who can answer the question so happy to sort of make uh, uh, introductions to that's fantastic Listen, this was awesome. We are going to have to do a part two because there's so much we didn't touch on. And I know well, from, from, from knowing you as well as I do, I know there's, there's a lot more um, that you really could tell some really cool stories. So we'll set up a part two. But this was, I had a lot of fun. And okay. there's really good information. When we get this thing out there, there's going to be some people that are going to love what they're listening to. So um, I know we delivered value today. I'm very flattered that you asked me to participate and I'll just leave it at that.